Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. It is the middle of August, and our very first episode in almost a month. Join Graham McMillan and I as we catch up on San Diego Comic-Con C2E2, the surprising spotlight panels of Chris Claremont and Todd McFarlane, the how and why undisputed masters of comics are now very much in dispute, the first series of The Sandman on Netflix, Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands by Kate Beaton, Brink, Book 5 by Dan Abnett and I.N.J. Colbard, Yokohama Kadashi Kiku, and much, much more in this two-hour episode. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff? Graham? Yes? Jeff? <laughs> Jeff? Jeff, it's been like a month? Maybe more since we did a podcast. Yes. Yeah, I think more than a month is indeed accurate. That's insane. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the We Don't Remember How to Do This podcast. Also known uh, as Wait, what? Yes. Yeah, apparently we did one at the end of July. Yeah, right? Which sort of, I mean... Which makes sense. So it's been, it's been, uh, to, it, that can't, no, that can't be right. No, no, July 18th, right? So it's been, you know, one, two, three, like three weeks, if not four weeks. I mean, there was also the thing of like, there was the jump between, it took the break off at the 25th and then... Rock was actually um, two weeks apart from the last Wait What. So if you don't count the Drock, it has been a month since we have done a Wait What episode. Wait, I mean, it's also made much stranger for me because, like, like you've done a trip, but I've done San Diego Comic-Con and C2E2. Yes. Since we last did a podcast. Right, I which, know. Honestly, like, C2E2 even feels more than a week ago as we record, and I was still in Chicago this time last week, right? Wow. But, um, but like, that seems more than a week ago. Yeah. So the idea that, like, I have done, you know, that and another show two weeks before that, since we did the last podcast, is nuts. Yeah. And you're doing one next week, right? Yep. Doing Emerald City next week. Amazing. Amazing. When I signed on to Popverse... Um, mm-hmm. I knew that there was literally a six-week period where I was doing three podcast, uh, three uh, conventions. Yeah, like that—that that, they made that clear to me. That wasn't a surprise. Yeah, um, and I knew it was going to feel like a slog. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I—I—I'm I, not dumb. <laughs> you know, I—I I, I knew that that would be a lot because it's literally uh, one weekend on, one weekend off. Okay. I was not prepared for even how tired I would feel getting to Chicago. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I mean, that's... So, I feel like since it's a podcasty type thing, and one of the things we talk about is comics and comics news and the pop thing. So, tell me about C2E2. It was your first, it was your first time there, right? It was my first time there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was it was a fun show. Uh, it, this is this sounds like a humble brag, and it's not meant to. Uh, but I'm trying to sort of, 
I'm still trying to contextualize to myself like what C2E2 was like because mm-hmm. it didn't feel like um, San Diego or New York. It didn't feel like WonderCon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't feel like Rose City here in town. It didn't feel like Emerald City. Um, the show it felt most like that I've ever been to before was the one I did in Brazil like three years ago. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I do remember. Mm-hmm. It felt like that. Um, and it, it it took me about a day to work out why that was the case. And why that was the case was twofold. One bit was um, everything was basically in the same space. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the, the panels, obviously, were, were on a different floor. Mm-hmm. But the show floor had, like, everything in it. Mm. And when I say everything, I mean, like, it had dealers and artists alley and, like, you know, exhibitors. But also, like, the autograph area was on the show floor. Oh, that's nice. The, um, you know, the signing area, uh, the, the um, you know, photograph personal appearance area was mm-hmm. on the show floor. There was a gaming area hmm. on the show floor. There was, a uh, there was like, a... a uh, I mean, sort of like fake picnic space mm. on the show floor. Mm-hmm. You know, all of this, there was essentially like a second stage set up for cosplayers only on the show floor. Like it was all in the one space. Wow. Right? So basically, if you went into the show floor, if you didn't want to go to panels, everything else is there. Mm-hmm. Everything else is in this one space. Um, and the second thing was, because that show floor was so big, mm-hmm. all of that was there and it never felt crowded. Mm. Mm. That's great. Not even once. Wow. Um, which honestly was good because I went into Chicago being convinced that was the one I was going to get sick at. You know? I yeah. was convinced uh, it wasn't a masked, like there wasn't a masked mandate at it. Mm-hmm. But also, literally that week, Chicago was like, oh, yeah, so monkeypox is definitely a thing in the city. Mm-hmm. You know? And I was like, oh, shit. And also, it was the second show I'd been to in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Right? And I was still surprised I hadn't gone sick at San Diego. Yes, you guys so seemed like, amazed okay, by that. Yeah, You know, <laughs> my luck's going to run out. <laughs> you know, like, this is the show I get sick at. Um, and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Right? But I went there very much going... You know, it's almost guaranteed. Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. almost certain that I will not still be healthy by the end of these four days. Yes. Um, and that just was not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I, I, and I was surprised by that. I was almost like uh, every day surprised by that. <laughs> uh, something that was really nice was, like I said, it wasn't a Mask Monday con. Right. Um, and definitely the first day... Like, there were a lot of people not wearing masks. And I'll be honest, like, I was like, oh, shit. Right. right. <laughs> this is not good. And maybe by lunch, something happened mm. that most people were voluntarily wearing masks. Oh, thank God. And that stayed the case for the remainder of the show, in my experience. Wow. Which, honestly, is just kind of stunning. Yeah. That said, at San Diego, I know what people have said in social media, but there were people who weren't at the show because San Diego was fucking amazing. In terms of mask wearers at the show. Right. Like, genuinely, shockingly amazing. I know there were a lot of people on social media being like, look at all the photographs I'm seeing of people not wearing masks. For the most part, there were people on stage who were long far distance away. 
and it was as someone who did a bunch of panels, like you, you had the option of taking masks off or leaving them on. Right. When I did panels, I kept them on. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the attendees were amazingly good at wearing masks. Like I saw a handful of people across five days without masks, and in those cases, someone was telling them to put the mask on. Wow, that's terrific! Like that, I I I was shocked at how well the mask thing held up. Mm-hmm. You know, like really, genuinely, crazily shocked. Mm. Um. So, you know, hooray! Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But so, so C two E two was a was a very unusual show. Um, the other part was also I, uh, like I, I'm trying to think of a good way of saying this. I went into expecting no news. Right. right. Um, panels were in flux all the way up until the fucking show. Wow. And when I say that, I mean like panels were changing at the when we were at the show. Wow. You know, people are pulling out. People are are, are changing. Mm-hmm. Like, um, people who paid attention to just what was happening in the show or, like, paid attention to, like, the coverage that I was doing in Popverse may have seen that there were two Spider-Man retrospective panels for the 60th anniversary on the same day at the show. Wow. Okay? That wasn't the case originally. Yeah. Like, when the panels were originally announced, there was one. And there was another panel that was a Marvel announcements panel. Mm-hmm. And as of, like, the day before the show, that Marvel announcement panel was gone. Wow. And they were like, we're doing another Spider-Man panel. <laughs> Which, wow. you know, on the one hand, great. It's the 16th anniversary. It's, a, like, it's literally a pop culture icon. Wonderful. Yeah. The other hand, they're two hours apart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, that's that's not the best. That's Marvel. Always double shipping. You know? Um, but, you know, that's, that's, that's not the greatest planning, shall we say. Um, so, so I went into going like, you know, this, this is, this is going to be a weird show, but also it's not a show where like no, Mar- you know, Marvel pulled their, their announcement panel. No other major publisher was there. No one was really planning announcements. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was like, this is going to be a weird show. There's no news. And then the fucking Chris Claremont thing blew up mm-hmm. and like blew up, blew up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and that was news and i'm still as someone who was at the panel i'm still not entirely sure why that was news mm, mm-hmm. like as someone who was there i don't really get it mm. you know mm-hmm. uh, and i talked to claremont the next morning and he definitely didn't get it yeah yeah like i'm not you know pretending to be oblivious right like, he didn't get it Mm-hmm. We spoke before the interview officially started, and he like outright was like, "Yeah, people are really upset, and I don't know why. I don't know what I said." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was like, "To my mind, I just did a panel. Like right. maybe it was a bit more chatty than normal." Well, because the, the other thing was, his panel wasn't meant to be that panel. That was another panel that changed the show. His panel was meant to be he and Art Adams talking about their collaborations. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and then our Adams pulled out of the show. Right. So it turned into like a Claremont Spotlight panel at the very last minute. And the the moderator, who moderated a lot of panels I saw that at that show, mm-hmm. and who was a good moderator, mm-hmm. um, pretty much at the outset said, like, you know, this is a last minute edition, so, like, we're going to keep things loose. 
and and Glermont showed up late for the panel as well. Oh right, um, I remember and, that. And so and so was uh, like it was arguably looser than either of them intended. Shall we say? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but also like Claremont, I don't think think that he said anything out of out of bounds. Like mm-hmm. genuinely didn't. No, there's no full humility, and there's also no. Um, you know, this woke generation doesn't know what they're talking about. Like, I, he just genuinely didn't know what he'd said. Um, I, and yet, like, you know, it it was massive. It blew up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, it was so strange. So, so it's the next day I'm talking to him. So, okay, so for people who don't know what I'm talking about, Chris Claremont on the, on the Friday of c 2 does a spotlight panel that, as I just said, was sort of an accidental spotlight panel. It wasn't announced as one. Uh, it became one sort of by accident, and the moderator was like, "We're going to like we're going to keep things relatively loose." It is both funny and really sad that before Claremont got there, like I said, the moderator was there. Claremont was late, and the moderator was vamping, right? And he was doing a good job of vamping. I'm not complaining about that, but part of his vamping was. Hey, you guys are obviously Chris Claremont fans. You know, what are you into? Like, let's go for some of the more obscure stuff. Who here likes Sovereign Seven? Silence. Who here right. likes the Black Dragon? Silence. Mm-hmm. Who here likes Murata the She-Devil? Silence. Wow. Who here likes, uh, like, Iron Fist and maybe, like, a couple of people? Uh, right? Yes. And it became very clear, this was a room full of X-Men fans. Right. Right? This was not Claremont fans. This was X-Men fans. Mm-hmm. Um... And again, nothing wrong with that. That's how Claremont made his bones for like 16 years, right? And more than that, because like he's come back to the title twice. But, you know, it it was this, uh, it was this really weird experience. And then Claremont comes in and Claremont is, uh, I don't want to say flustered, because that's not right. But Claremont just was like literally shooting from the hip. Right, and the takeaway from me, much more than the the other things that that were taken by the internet as controversial, the takeaway for me was like Claremont was probably the most open I've ever heard him speak about like my current contracts bullshit. <laughs> you know, like I keep pitching to Marvel that I should be writing books, and they're paying me anyway, so this is free labor on my end. Yeah, and they turned me down. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and, and, he, and he, like you do, you did sense a frustration from him about that. And for me, like that was the, that was the thing, right? That yeah, was the, of course. That was the. But no, everyone jumped on the like admittedly ridiculous plot point of like had I continued X Men forever, which again is a series that you know I would argue me and maybe one other person in that room had read. Mm-hmm. For people who may or may not remember, X-Men Forever is like 2008, 2009. It's his What If I Had Never Left X-Men and Just Kept Writing series. Tom Grummet drew it, and it is it's literally Claremont picking up from the end of X-Men issue 3. Right. Right, and just going forward. And it's fucking wild. Yeah. Like, it's an insane series. It's on Marvel Unlimited, and I genuinely recommend people read it. Not because it's good, but because it's it is honestly just fucking insane. Yeah. Like, it's Claremont going, no one can tell me no, so I'm literally going to do everything. Right. Right. You know, he kills off Wolverine in issue one, issue two. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like Aurora gets turned like Aurora is a kid again or or gets turned into a kid again or never like got unkitted. Um but there's also an evil queen like clone Aurora running oh. around who ends up taking over Wakanda. Um and I think kills T'Challa, I might be misremembering. Oh. Um like like it's it's nuts. It's genuinely nuts, right? And it's Claremont like not only with like trading wheels off, it's Claremont with like all common sense off. And if you for one better way of putting it, if you can get into that, you'll have a hell of a time. It's great. Mm-hmm. You know? And honestly, if you just want to treat a car crash, it's also kind of great for that as well. Yeah, right. You know? Um so anyway, so he's like if 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 I continue to write X Men Forever um, I was planning to have Storm, who sees herself as a god, turn down the panther gods of Wakanda mm-hmm. and say, I am a god myself, why would I cow down to you? And the panther gods would get so upset, they would go to the person she's closest to and basically brainwash her and rewrite her DNA to make her their slave. Mm-hmm. And that person's Kitty Pride, who they would turn into daughter of T'Challa and Aurora who would be black and that's the part that everyone leapt on right right and and so the next day like I'm talking to Claremont and he's like you know what like what did I say as, as he pointed out he's like I've told people this before mm-hmm. <laughs> like this audience wasn't the first group of people I've told it's just I normally say it on my table um, but like I've told people and I've told people who, I've told people who aren't just white mm-hmm. sorry, he didn't seem to be upset so mm-hmm. I don't know why people are upset now nonetheless uh, I, I go like I, I say something along the lines of like what's like when you turned Betsy Braddock Asian and he's like yeah but that that wasn't meant to be permanent that was Marvel mm-hmm. looking at the, the feedback and they wanted to keep her Asian like that was never meant to be permanent and what I didn't remember and what I fucking wish I'd remembered was in New Mutants he also turned two white people Native American oh right Jesus right I, like yeah, I yeah. remember that literally two days later when I'm telling Chloe mm-hmm. and I was like fuck right fuck I wish I'd remembered that mm-hmm. like I wish I had been like okay but you do have something about like cha- like flipping races for no reasons because for anyone who remembers that New Mutants storyline mm-hmm. that doesn't like that means makes no sense either mm-hmm. <laughs> right that's just something that he does in that story mm-hmm. you know so it's like okay there is something there and I wish you'd remember and I forgot and I like I've been kicking myself ever since mm. um, anyway so people had the problem with that and the the Claremont essentially said he was he was talking shit about the Marvel movies, but which right. people like honestly, I don't think it's a thing at all. Everyone can talk shit about the Marvel movies. Go with God, right? Um, <laughs> he, I he, I love that because you are uh, you've talked your share of shit about Marvel movies. So no, that's I what mean, I'm no, but yeah, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know. It's not controversial that he talks shit about Marvel movies. Yeah, you know I mean? like right. he's expressing an opinion, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Go with God. He uh, he didn't talk shit about the current state of X Men comics, mm-hmm. but he basically was like, "There's things that just don't make sense." Yes, like why is Kitty Pride suddenly an alcoholic, and also why is no one reaching out to her, being like, "We're worried about you." Mm-hmm. Like we've known you for years. This is not like you. You know why does no one do that? Why is no one? Um, 
why what happens to the, the human relatives of, of the mutants who go and yes go yeah right. right which apparently is being followed up in some x-men comic but like mm. i also don't read those x-men comics um but he, he when he's talking about kitty he more or less goes like there's a coloring error in kitty Pryde's first appearance where emma frost is not wearing white oh right yeah um and I realized that, and I was like, well, you know, what if there's a story in that? What if it's not a coloring error? What if there's a story? Mm-hmm. Because it also, knowing what we now know about Emma, makes no sense that she would just let Charles Xavier get away with this. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. What if, basically, Kitty is the the, uh, the Manchurian candidate? Right. But And what if she always has been? Mm-hmm. What if all the time we've known Kitty, she's been the Manchurian candidate? Mm-hmm. And this is like this is Emma's plan coming to fruition now, which is like it's a fun story. But he himself, in talking about the the like Kitty turns black in X Men Forever, or like Kitty is brainwashed by Emma thing, says like it's comics. They're meant to be stupid. They're meant to be ridiculous. They're meant to make you mad because they're meant to get you to buy the next issue. Right. That's the, that's the aim of it. Mm-hmm. Like you know. We're, we're going to do whatever we do to entertain you, but more importantly, to get you to buy the next issue. Right. Because the next issue, we might change it back or we might keep going and make you more mad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I agree with. Right. No, absolutely. You know I mean? And so mm-hmm. when I talked to him the next day, one of the things he said was like, I didn't like what Grant Morrison did with X-Men. Mm-hmm. Like there's things I fundamentally disagreed with. I don't, I think taking the X-Men public makes no sense. I think Scott's relationship with Emma makes no sense. But they kept me reading the comic. Yeah, right. Yeah, you, you know, Claremont was like, you know, I was picking it up every month. I couldn't stop reading. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, like, you let them get away with it because that's the point. That's their job. Right. Um, but anyway, for that's a, the sort of long-winded um, Claremont story, which, like I said, blew up, blew up, blew up, was mm-hmm. really weirdly big. Mm-hmm. Um, and ended up sort of dominating C2E2, you know, which was, it makes no sense. You know, <laughs> like, it genuinely doesn't. It's nuts. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a weird show. It was a good show. I'm looking forward to going back, oddly enough. You know what? Uh, it can, it, can I sort of jump in and digress sure. here? Because I think uh, one thing that I was struck by that happened around the same time that... I wouldn't have drawn the connection to if you hadn't mentioned sort of the, oh, it's nuts and it makes no sense and things I've been wondering about. Um, and and I should say in advance that this may be a story on which you and I uh, are, are on, I wouldn't necessarily say opposite ends of the spectrum, but maybe pointed in different directions, which is to say that Phoebe Glockner, who has been a professor of comics art and sequential storytelling at a college and I can't remember where um, recently got quite publicly chastised. There was an article I believe in the college paper where she taught at where various students had come forward and basically complained that as as an instructor she had been Oh, this is, um, this incredibly is the sensitive. Yeah, this yeah. is the microaggression story, right? Yeah, the microaggression story. That they felt that she had been, 
the, the degrees of microaggressions, including, you know, not mentioning, um, uh, you know, con like after students complained about her showing slideshows of content from underground comics from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they were like, we don't like this, this is uncomfortable, she still continued to do it, she still continued to not warn them about it, um, and I there mean, was... she, there's also a thing where she said that she thought the two Mexican students were the same because they were both Mexican. Uh, yeah, right. Like, she she couldn't tell you them know, apart. Like there's or there's more than just the the like you know she didn't give adequate trigger warnings part of this. Oh no 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 no! I agree. There was a lot of stuff where she's clearly like was being um, really shitty, uh, and so I think that's sort of blurs the the waters a little bit but one thing that i thought was amazing in the article was one of the comics and sequential people saying like the students saying like yeah she's showing things of people that aren't oh like appropriate like she would show us uh images that robert crumb had drawn and then we were like this isn't cool and she showed us, like, she insisted that we watch the documentary, which we also found disturbing, you know, because you've got Crumb laughing as his brother describes, you know, molesting a woman. Um, and and the thing that I, to me, the thing that I thought was really amazing, separate and apart outside of this, was that somebody was like, yeah, you know, kind of like Robert Crumb, he's not that big a deal. You know what I mean? Like these are her friends and and people that she looked up to, but they're like a very small spectrum. They're not people that should be taught as being important. Um, and I found that pretty remarkable. Like I'm like, wow, you know? Yes. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, okay. Part of I wish Chloe was on the podcast tonight mm -hmm. because this ties in with something that she, i know she's writing about mm -hmm. but something that she saw which because she attended to uh underground panels at san diego mm -hmm. and like uh came away with uh, uh came away with a particular take on what a particular generation of underground comics means to a particular generation of readers mm-hmm and how that is these days becoming a smaller and smaller bubble. Exactly. And that was right? – this was kind of my – part of my point. But yes, exactly. Um, and so I, like, I'm like, oh, shit. Like Chloe would have had like a lot to say about this. And you know, the next time Chloe's on the podcast, we should, we should have that conversation. Well, I, I mean I agree. But I also think for the purposes of what it, sort of what I was thinking about it, which is kind of like, oh, amazing. And – also, the stuff with Claremont and Claremont's befuddlement is, I think, this may be a, a huge positive sign, um, but I think this is somewhat, this is somewhat um, a huge generalization, so it would not surprise me if it doesn't bear fruit. Haven't thought about it too deeply but essentially I, i'm looking forward to it comics comics as essentially a bastard medium that had not had 
was granted much critical attention and which was published quite largely um by and large very disposably had for the most part a single historical narrative thread running through it in part because essentially there was the field was so small you only maybe really had one or two historians or cultural critics taking the time to define that narrative you know but also i would say like if you are like for me as someone who um you know read superhero comics read a little bit of everything growing up mainly superhero comics and then at a certain point in my 20s moved to reading indie comics which were fanographic stuff for the most part uh at that point in the late 80s early 90s and then a very strong influences on the Fanta crowd at that point were from the weirdo people. Spiegelman, of course, was big. He came out of the, the undergrounds. And all those people had also more or less inherited directly kind of a lineage that came from EC Comics and Eisner and the classic daily strips and so so there was maybe one or two threads to the history i suppose and and so for the most part like i said i feel like none of this stuff really stayed in print or you know you had to hunt it down and it became a process in which receiving the materials meant that you were probably more prone to receive the materials behind it i guess you know like chris claremont is arguably the second generation x-men creator right like you've yeah, got yeah, yeah. the original x-men team and then you've got you know claremont and then claremont spans this huge history but of course you know you've got 20 somethings who are x-men fans who either may not have read Claremont or more likely they read, they went back and they read Claremont, but Claremont was not their er X-Men writer. Yeah. yeah you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I'd like to, I think that the majority of X-Men fans now came in after Claremont had left. Cause I mean, right? you've got to remember Claremont has now not been the primary X-Men writer for 31 years. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, there is a whole generation that comes up and and I think is very, I think, you know, so for me, I feel like one of the things that is great and interesting and important is you can have an entire generation of comics fans now that are young adults that started off in areas really rich big areas that had nothing to do with superhero comics came to them because they like them, you know, or, but like, you know, whether it's manga, whether it's the first, second books, whether it's scholastic, whether there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of ins into the industry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Web comics. Right. And web comics that make it such that you, you, 
you can reject the received wisdom in a way like, that you couldn't like before. No, that's what I'm saying. It's a, on the one hand, it's an excellent thing. It's a sign of so much health that you actually have, like, you've, you've got, you've got a genre, you've got a medium that's healthy enough to have essentially a generation gap. You know, whereas before there was never really any generational gap. You had you had your old weirdos and you had your young weirdos, but like, you know, one's passed on the information directly to the other. And a lot of that was, you know, um, cis white male lens type stuff with everyone else figuring out a way to to sort of fit within it or work along it or finding ways in which they were like, eh, fine with it. You know, kind of that thing that we were talking about of like, you know, the sensitive hippie male and, you know, the 60s and 70s and how kind of terrifyingly uh, reductive they still were and yet thought they were incredibly enlightened comparatively. So I I think that it's really great that, you know, you've got people who are like, yeah, you know what? I, re I reject Crumb. I don't think that he's an important part of the Pantheon. I don't think he's an important part of my Pantheon. I don't see where he's a, a, an influence across an entire spectrum of stuff that I've been exposed to, you know? And similarly, similarly, there are people who are like, yeah, I respect Chris Claremont for, you know, creating so many of these characters and situations but they also the people involved you know those things have changed they've muted they've grown you know and and i think there's in that sense i think there's a little bit of claremont himself as a a, a weirdo outsider you know he was he was being he was being very glib about you know well I'm you know I can get away with cultural appropriation because I'm British and we've been doing it for centuries, and I'm sort of like I can kind of see for where for a lot of people they're like oh you are so close to being right and yet you are totally wrong you know yeah. that I think I, that I, it probably chafed people in a way that might not have otherwise you yes. know also worth saying that I think that. Um... I think it's very much a case where tone did not translate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the tone was relatively important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think that Claremont was far more aware of what they were saying mm -hmm. and was intentionally saying it to be... Um, to be... Uh, Trying to be funny, I guess. Yeah, yeah. He was trying to be. I feel. I feel like Claremont was trying to be cheeky, and it is. It's a way in which, you know, I don't. I don't nest. I think, like you said, there are people who weren't there, um, of course, and who read into it, like you said, without the actual context. Or there are other people who I think just feel that it is a well, it's not a funny joke, right? Right. That, that's that's also a completely valid reason. Yeah. A uh, reading rather. Yeah. You know that like I get what you were trying to do. I just don't like it. Right. 
is right. also college, right? Yes, exactly. And I think there's, I think there is a, there is a, a certain amount of that. And I think that that is, um, like I said, I feel like there are ways in which um, previous generations of comics fans were way more uh enthralled yeah forgiving forgiving but also enthralled um willing to give the person the benefit of the doubt for a lot of reasons that it might be closer to i don't i don't even know if it's willing to give the person benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. although i I don't think you're all i don't think you're 100 miles away from from the truth either um but i think that it's because i think back to like even 10 years ago right Mm-hmm. You'd have people who would be like, Dave Sim is saying truly abhorrent th- things, but he also did, you know, Cerebus, which we all have to admit is an artistic achievement. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's happened is the comics audience, as you said, is, is, is bifurcated enough. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, you know, you sure do like those granddad comics, but Cerebus means nothing to me, so why should I give a uh, shit about Dave Sim? Yeah. You know, exactly. why should I give a shit about from why should i give a shit about claremont even right you know and yeah. and you know i think that line of thinking gets uh complicated with regards to claremont if you're an x-men fan mm-hmm. do you know what i mean because there is there like there is a response to why should i give a uh, shit about claremont which is because he basically created not only the characters that you like but also the tone yeah of that the x-men comics is still working within Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like he basically created the 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 structure that even in the, these post Hickman days, X Men comics are still basically laboring under. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like there is some element of like you know you can think he's a shit, you can think that he is being purposefully or accidentally racist, and you can you can you know have that reaction that's completely valid and mm-hmm. honestly important like you know speak truth to power take you know take people to town for being shit um but you also have to admit that like okay but you know the the works that you are currently lauding as like as your thing right uh, are, are 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 distinctly rooted in this guy's work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, are are coming from people who one hundred percent, like, are are stealing from this guy's playbook still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. No, there is a little bit of like, yeah, this guy, this guy manufactured the playbook by which everyone's still still copying from. So yeah, no, I I think, and I think, um, you know, it's funny. I there is a. Um, Shit, was I thinking of? So a few years back, there was a show. I don't know. I want to say it was like a. I want to say it was something weird like Tales of the City, which doesn't sound right to me because it seemed way more um, current and, and almost painfully contextualized, in which a young gay man is at dinner with, because he's dating an older man and he's at a table. Um, with essentially those men's compatriots, I guess. And it's sort of basically a bunch of 
rich white gay men and they are talking about their travels and they're using incredibly reductive language like tranny and making jokes about it and when the guy says something about it he gets very slapped down by the people at the table who are like hey you don't you know essentially you've got no right to to um chastise us because of everything that we've been through the things that we built the things that you take for granted that you wouldn't have if it wasn't for us and it's it's a really great scene and remember it set a lot of the net on fire because there were a number of people that were just pissed in some cases they were pissed because the they felt that the creators by not giving the younger man the right the last word and letting him essentially win the argument um, meant that the showmakers, the producers of the show were sort of siding with the older gay men. And I don't think when you watch the scene, it's very, it seems very unlikely that that's the case, but it is, it is fascinating that I feel there is a whole bunch of stuff that started in the 60s and 70s and survived and succeeded enough to create another generation or the generation beyond that to the point where there are these schisms. And like you said, there's that idea of like, yeah, you know, berate him, take him to task, but you can't really repudiate, if you're an X-Men fan, you can't really repudiate Chris Claremont you know and it'll be interesting to see how those things get measured because in some ways one of the other things that is pretty great about certainly comics culture is there's still no one arbiter you know of the comics canon you know, there's people I, who come and, cobble together think, studies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great thing. But I also think that if you went back, like, again, even 10 years ago, you would have more of an arbiter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that one of the things, and I think you're kind of talking about this as well, is that, you know, you know, definitely when you and I get into comics, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, realistically like a 10-year span. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a comic canon. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Comic canon was made by the old heads. Yeah, exactly. Like, we all we all accepted the old heads. That's right. You know, and I would say like the old heads were accepted even through like the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when you look at, and I say this name not to conjure uh, more recent demons, but when you look at like a Warren Ellis or a Larry Young or, or anyone from like those that Delphi Forum era, yeah. I think their entire cults of personality came from the fact that they were speaking to the old heads, mm-hmm. and they were they were the, like they were the new wave, which explicitly um, confirms the existence of, and honestly, the validity of the canon as established by the old heads, mm-hmm. right? And then I think that you get like manga really coming in and you get web comics being a thing and you do get the audience splitting and finding new entry points in that isn't, I mean, like 
Jeff, you and I both remember a period where people would straight-facedly say that, like, Watchmen was a great gateway to comics. Right. Yeah. You know, because it's literary. Mm -hmm. And, like, Mm -hmm. that was an argument people actually used Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. You know, for years. Um, And then, you know, the reality of it is, is, you know what's a great gateway for comics? Hark of Vagrant. You know what's mm-hmm. a great gateway for comics? Pluto. You know what's a great gateway for comics? You know, all these other things. All these things that have nothing to do with comics canon. Mm-hmm. All these things that exist outside it, but instead are just... Like, Peanuts was always one of the greatest gateways to comics. Oh, absolutely. You know and, what I mean? And, yeah, and like, there, was a, there were people sort of in the same way, like, I can't remember if it's Kate Beaton. I'm sure I've got it confused with someone else. But there were someone for whom... Um, Lynn Johnston's For Better or For Worse was their gateway. Oh, uh, ah, shit. Who am I thinking of? Maybe it's Ariel Schrag. Um, you know, the Dan Klaus talked about his gateway was like Mad Magazine. You know, there was an yeah, entire yeah. generation for whom Mad Magazine was it. And the thing is, is that because there, the, the gate, there were so few of those things, you kind of got one or two or three people in. But now through the miracle of it, you know, you have, you've got Kate Beaton and everyone that was in that Pizza Island studio, and they all sort of came from one spot or another, but then each of them, like, ended up inspiring multiple people and so you're going to have future cartoonists that are inspired someone might be inspired by kate beaton someone else might be inspired by you know fart party or someone else might be inspired by meredith grand's octopus pie or you know and so there's there's just there's way more portals of entry into comics and like you said it's not before it was like you said the new heads and the old heads and and the the new wave in a way was very much making these like you know radical assertions that had more or less been rejected by or ignored by the old heads you know but still fit within the context of it you know what i mean so it wasn't it was it was it was more a process of you know, kind kind of like, oh, hey, you know who's great? Starenko, which admittedly is like a very like uncontroversial take, but because he had fallen by the wayside, it was really easy for people to step up and go, you know, break out Outland and be like, look at this. Or, you know, I feel like someone like Simonson, you know, really moved into... A capital A ascendance, capital A artist type, you know, in part because people are like, yeah, he's Thor's the shit, Manhunter's the shit. Look at his Aliens adaptation. This guy is amazing. But that's all still incredibly different. Like you said, there wasn't really many forums where people were like arguing about the best offshoot from Peanuts. You know what I mean? Like there was Peanuts, there was Calvin and Hobbes, there was. It seemed like as the as the newspaper strips had narrowed, you know, you had people who were like, yeah, there was the great stuff, you know, and and there just wasn't. 
we really saw a bursting in of variety at the beginning of the 21st century. And also, I would say the other thing that's amazing is there is shit that has stayed in print long enough to um, more or less uh, outlive itself. You know what I mean? Like, if if something like Watchmen had, like, come out, gone out of print, and been forgotten about, and then somebody had uh, rediscovered it in the mid-2000s or something, people would be like, holy shit, this is amazing. Wow, this is a whole weird thing. Think of how comics could have gone if they, you know, if this thing had been popular. But, you know, whereas I think now everyone's kind of like, eh. You know what I mean? Like, Uh, it's aged long enough to actually smell. I agree with all of that apart from that last bit. Oh, really? Yeah, purely because I look at something like Marvel Man. Uh Uh-huh. Which did go out of print, which disappeared for like 20 odd years. Sure. You know, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And then when it came back, it came back as like, as part of the old heads canon. Yeah, but. This is the comics that led to Watchmen. Right. This is Alan Moore's first revisionist superhero thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it didn't, it didn't get the reappraisal because there was no space to give the reappraisal. I what whereas I would say that part of the problem is it didn't get the reappraisal because because Marvel nickel and dimed everyone. Like, don't get me wrong, no, it's no, no, quite I, positive I, I, that it could have it could still and probably still well be something that comes out and people are like, Yeah, you know what, this didn't age well. But I think that I mean, there Marvel is Marvel come out again like it was reissued like six years ago. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, is is like I don't I don't think that I think I, I don't, sorry yeah, yeah I just think that there that that and, and you might I might be splitting hairs but it just seems to me that the way Marvel was treating the reprints of Miracle Man it just wasn't no one was really going to take was really going to it's just different from I think picking up a a Watchmen trade. And it could also well be that, you know, fucking Miracle Man was, unlike Watchmen, not an entire cohesive beginning to end structure the way that, that V for Vendetta was or Watchmen is, where it's Alan Moore and it's one set of artists maneuvering the story from beginning to end. Like, Miracle Man has way more in common with common with monthly comics of the time. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, Oh, we're scrabbling to find a new artist when so-and-so doesn't want to do it anymore. And Oh, we've, we've got like a deadline problem. Can you figure out a framing sequence that we can like jam a reprint into? And so I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot in which you, you, you hand something to like Miracle Man to people and you're looking at like seven different author, seven different artists. And you're just like, yeah, this doesn't, this doesn't really feel right. You know what no, I mean? No, no, like, no, yeah, yeah. But my, yeah, I, I guess what I was saying, like, my point was, like, it didn't even get the chance for people to discover that because it was mm-hmm. presented fait accompli as this is an important work of comics. Right. 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 There, there. Like, I think that your, uh, your, your suggestion that like if Watchmen had gone out of print, it then like would have the space to be rediscovered and reappraised. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying like I'm not sure that's true. Because I think there there would still be old heads who would be like, no, this is important because blah, 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 blah. 
mm-hmm. right? I, right. I, I think I think that you get, I think things get the reappraisal when honestly they are forgotten, mm-hmm. um, and then they're discovered by the audience who is not um, either not in touch with or doesn't give a shit about the old heads. Okay, so I think you and I were I, basically saying the same thing. I just clearly picked a bad example, but yeah, I think that I think I think you and I are saying the same thing that that by there was a lot of stuff that that went out of print for so long that by the time people hunted it down it you know again there was kind of a patina of it or things were discovered out of the blue that had been entirely forgotten about or rather had been um cultivated and um talked about like the work of Fletcher Hanks that didn't come just flat out of you know like Craig Yo did a lot of important he got the stuff into print and he wrote the scholarship about it but there was there were a lot of people who were obsessed with scanning and and recollecting that stuff on internet groups so i mean in that sense i do think that there are little micro percolators that that help sustain the culture when it re rearises but i do wonder if like yeah by dint of things being in print for like 30 or 40 years as opposed to being a long lost thing out of print that comes back into print with a lot of cultural reappraisal being done for a variety of reasons to push it as a as a as a as a new product perhaps um it gets its sense to I just feel that there is a way in which stuff like you mentioned about Dave Sim and it may happen with Watchmen and it may happen for a lot of these things. They're in print long enough to be rejected rather than a process of continual rediscovery, which kind of reapplies a sort of fresh coat of paint, I guess, from it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I feel like this is the where I should talk, ask you about the Sandman Netflix adaptation, I feel in a way. But have you been watching it? Not in the slightest. Have you? Yeah, I'm like halfway through. Okay. so and what do you think? Or or maybe we can talk about that if we're, you know, through. I feel like, of course, I totally derailed. We went from Claremont C2E2 to Claremont to my point point in quotes that you know about comics culture more or less being very different than it was 20 or 30 years ago in a great way but it also in a way that really does mean that that old um you know the old statues are going to be knocked down like rather than just rediscovered as an abandoned city they're actually going to be torn pulled down because the city is thriving and people are like yeah that's not that's not relevant to the people who live in this neighborhood now you know 30 40 50 years ago tear down the confederate general tear down you know robert crumb you know yep and again i am i am in favor yes i I am all for that um i i okay so to get back to the conventions yes uh for a second there's something that i there's something that I want to talk about, Jeff. Um, did you ever go to a talkback session at any of these these shows? 
I know it's been a long time since you've been to a convention, but yeah. like, go to, to a, a like the you know the the fans go and and get to offer feedback. Panels. I I want to say it's possible that I did, but if I did, like it was literally thirty plus years ago. So, so I did the one in San Diego, and I did the one at C two two. Right. And Chloe and was with the one wildly... in San Diego because she live tweeted it. Yes, right? and, and yeah. live tweeted it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were wildly different experiences. Hmm. Wildly different. And I've been thinking about the different experiences ever since. The one at San Diego was very combative, mm-hmm. right? And had people repeatedly being like, you know, your lines for Hall H are fucked. Your treatment of um, of like ADA uh, accessibility is fucked. Like this is this is bad. You have fucked up. Right. You need to fix this. You need mm-hmm. to fix this. And um, people were in tears at the San Diego one. Wow. Right. The C two E two one was like a bunch of people who all like each other in a room. Mm. And. And I've been thinking about this a bunch, right? In part because like, I wrote them both up for pop first. And I was really reticent to write the CTUE2 one up. Mm-hmm. Because pop first people who may or may not know is owned by Repop, who owns CTUE2. Right. Okay? And objectively, the CTUE2 one was far friendlier and more upbeat and was filled with people who loved the show and loved being there and wanted to thank them. Right, and the San Diego one was full of people who were upset, who were angry, who had felt betrayed. Right, uh, the one actually positive thing besides I'm so glad there's a San Diego Comic Con again. Mm-hmm. The one positive thing people had to say at the San Diego one was thank you for doing masks. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Mm. And there was a lot of positive things brought up at this, the C2E2 one. It was predominantly positive, in fact. Um, and I've been I've been thinking about this, and I ha- I think I've realized what the difference is, and it's not the shows. Because for a while, I was like, maybe it's because C2E2 is a smaller show. You know, maybe C2E2 doesn't have a whole age. Right. Right, because a, a number, like a number of the complaints of San Diego was basically the way you give out passes for Hall H is unfair. And yeah. as someone who spent nine hours in Hall H on Saturday of, of San Diego Comic-Con, sure. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Right? Like, yeah. that. Like, I was in for the first panel on Saturday, mm-hmm. all the way through the Marvel panel. And I will tell you right now that that room, which holds 6,500 people, was basically full of people waiting for the Marvel panel from 9.30 in the morning. Wow. And Oof. the Marvel panel didn't, didn't happen until, like, 5 o'clock that night. Oof. Right? Um, and that's a shame, because, as people at the, the Talkback said, like, you know, there's people who want to see those other panels. Right. right? Yeah. Like, like the, the, the Netflix Sandman thing was one of those panels. And people didn't see it, because Marvel fans who didn't care about Sandman were in the room. Because they right. wanted to save their space. Mm-hmm. Right? Um... But but so I was like, okay, maybe CTE two talkback is more positive because it's a smaller show. There's no Hall H. And then I was like, it's not that. Do you know what it is? What? It's that 
at San Diego, people said, you fucked this up. And they were given excuses. Mm. And they were given excuses that, in many occasions, someone would then come up and be like, you're lying. Or that's not true. Or uh, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right? So, for example, they were told, like, you know, um, someone basically said, why can't there be a lottery for passes to to Hall Age? Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, that's not legal under California law. And someone basically comes up and is like, I no, I work in this sort of stuff. That's not true. Right. <laughs> like you, whoever whoever your lawyer is, they're wrong. Right. You know. But there was a lot of that. There was a lot of like, you know, well, it's actually because of this. You just don't understand. Mm-hmm. Right. And I see two, you two every single time someone said you fucked this up. They were like, you're right, and we're sorry, and we'll have to fix it next time. Mm. Every single time. Hmm. Someone's like, you didn't have ADA. Uh, you didn't have like translators. ADA translators at the big panels. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, we did. We fucked it up. We really messed up. That's on us. Mm. And that was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just like heard it and said, yes, you're right. We're sorry. Hmm. And I think that makes a difference. Yeah, I think that's for sure. What, what makes a big difference in the room. Mm-hmm. Because one of them is someone saying, well, no, you're, you're like, either when they say like your concerns are valid it sounds like they're placating them or mm-hmm. it sounds like they're saying we don't actually care you don't know the whole story right right and the other is people who are like i'm really sorry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and i'm like very that, big difference. that's, the difference. that's yeah. the difference that's why that's why the c2e2 one felt better because when people would bring them up and stuff and they would bring them up and stuff mm-hmm. they'd be like yeah we fucked up mm. yeah we have to do that better and they then go like, you know, this is how it happened. But they never said you're wrong or they never said you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Right. You know? Hmm. And I was like, oh, shit. That's it. That's it. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there we go. For those people who are listening who run cons or want to run cons, um, take this advice to heart. And we said that. Like, how many people are actually running cons out there these days? I mean, you know, it's it, it seems... Un, it seems I don't know honestly I mean that's the thing I think between it's it's I felt that pre-COVID there was a lot of show aggregation it seemed like you know where yeah like like again I think the read pop owns a, a lot of cons right now. a lot of cons like, exactly okay. so so to let everyone know I am I did San Diego at the end of July in mm-hmm. August alone, I'm doing C2E2 and I'm doing Emerald City. And then in October, I'm doing New York Comic Con. That's wow. one pop show in there. Wait, there's there's I'm... one. San Diego's the only one that is not owned by Repop. In that okay, place. thank you. It sounded exactly the opposite. Okay, All great. Right. No, so, no, yeah. one yeah. non-Repop show in there. Yeah, exactly. Right. 75% of those are Repop. And admittedly, there's a certain selection bias in that you're going to cover these as hey, part going, yeah, of... Going, going, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. But, but well, no, still, but at like, the same what are, time... What are the, other, what are the other major shows that are happening around that? Right, exactly. I mean, that's... I mean? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think there are any. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I mean, but, you start you start splitting into different areas, you know, as you know. Like, Dragon Con is a huge show. It's strongly focused on gaming, you know. They're... Yeah, like, so, so for example, the same weekend as, mm-hmm. as C2B2 was Gen Con, which is a gaming right. convention, and um, uh, Crunchy Expo in, in the Bay Area. Exactly, right. 
Right. You know, which is an anime show. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Anime Expo, Crunchy Expo, Gen Con, Dragon Con, those are all isn't considered... Anime Ex... Isn't Anime Expo also a repop show? I, it could be. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. It certainly seems like it would be a smart move on repop's part. But I guess what I'm saying is, is like, on the one hand, I'm not aware of... Like, as someone who doesn't go to comic shows, I definitely know that the, you know, the big five or six in my head, you know, are C2E2, NYCC, San Diego, maybe possibly, arguably, WonderCon, ECC, you know, and then, and then there's, I feel like I know there's one or two other cons that are big you know what I yeah. mean? Like the, that I wouldn't know about. Like I'm sure that there is a, a comic show in the South or maybe in yeah, Texas yeah, yeah, yeah. that is huge yeah. that I'm not tracking. But yeah, so I mean, you know, at that point, that's, you know, it could very well be two convention, you know, Reed Pop and, and the people doing SDCC and WonderCon, you know, that's. Yeah, that's... you know, that that's, the, that's, it's just, it's a weird thing. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's, it's just conventions, Jeff. Conventions. <laughs> I, um, I, I've told you about this privately, but I don't think I've said it on the podcast yet because I don't mm-hmm. think we've done a podcast in San Diego. Um, yeah. Todd McFarland's thing at San Diego was the highlight of the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to him doing uh, his follow-up panel at New York Comic Con. Wow. I think it will be amazing. Todd McFarlane... Uh, was uh like there, there's i did a, a live blog that you can link to in the show notes for poppers about it that mm-hmm. sort of summarizes how genuinely insane it was Amazing. but it really speaks to the idea of like it's kind of great to have just madmen who can just let themselves be madmen mm-hmm. or are allowed to be madmen i guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, because that was so crazy intense. Like, I am the pig, he said, for like two or three minutes, just repeatedly, over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> On stage, in front of an audience. Wow. Uh, because he's the pig who built the brick house. I should give oh, context. Right. That's, That's right. why he was saying it. He wasn't just saying he was a pig. He is the pig who built the brick house. Mm. Um, because he's untouchable and no one will ever defeat him. It's just... It's just... Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, at um, at New York Comic Con, he's apparently going to do a Spawn movie panel. All right, right. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Mm. Uh, in his spotlight panel at San Diego, included him talking about the success of his toys and explaining it away by saying, "My toys shit larger than your toys eat." Yes. Um, yeah. I can only look forward to him talking about the progress in the Spawn movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I gotta say, uh, yeah, that'll be really interesting. It'll be really interesting if something does indeed come out of it, uh, in that sense. Because it's been something, and again, here's Jeff throwing out the old segue line, not unlike Neil Gaiman's Sandman show has been (laughs) in development forever. Wow, that segue. Okay, so you've not watched it, right? No, no, no. Are you going to? I have no idea. 
I mean, I think I we currently have Netflix now because I got it for some of those uh, Tollywood movies I wanted to watch. Um, and I'm like, oh yeah, we should watch that. And maybe we, I think like we might, honestly. I, it's funny because I sort of, you know, Edie as someone who has a stronger awareness of that period of, you know, early Vertigo stuff. Um, I'm sort of surprised that she hasn't been like, hey, what's this about? What have you heard? Should we watch it? Kind of thing. And I think I'm kind of half waiting for that before I commit. But it, I mean, as I think is documented here, I mean, you know, you and I both, we both appreciate a good chance to poke fun at Neil Gaiman. But like, I, you know, the teller I, of tales. The teller of tales. I, Neil Gaiman, master of the story. Uh, I just, I, you know, I didn't make it all the way through Sandman the first time. Like, I, I really? wandered off. Yeah, I wandered off around issue forty or forty-one or something oh, man, like you didn't, that. You didn't even get to like the the Peak Rick Russell issue. Uh, is that the pre- is that the pres issue? It's a, it's a sh- uh, no, the Peak Rick Russell issue is issue fifty. It's Ramadan. Oh yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't. I you know, uh, it's, it's funny. Good. I it's, think it's, the Prez issue is like right after. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, seeing that's it. Maybe it's like fifty one or fifty two. It's really soon after. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, you know, there's good stuff there. I just, I, you know, I just, I just wandered away. There was a I was, variety I was of spoiler factors. And then I was like, like, who cares about fucking spoiling Sandman? Although I had to stop myself doing that when I was writing about it for Wired. Like, I literally accidentally gave the ending away at the first paragraph, and I was like, oh shit. Right. I, sh- I should right. probably, I should probably like take that out. Yeah. Because like there are people. The, here's the thing: there literally are people discovering it through the TV show. Because when Chloe and I were in the grocery store earlier today, we overheard a conversation about that. Oh my god, that must have been someone who was just found out yeah. through the TV show and was excitedly telling their friend mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about the show, and they were just like, "Yeah, it's, it's amazing." Because like he's, he's dream, like actually he's in charge of all the dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and how great is that? I mean, it it to me, it's worth remembering. And I think, you know, there were a lot of people, a lot of people who had read the Game of Thrones books before the show started. And they held their tongue through, you know, of course it wasn't finished, but there were significant spoilers, you know, that they very... They did an awesome job not spoiling for people. So which, I think which it is great, great, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, as some okay, so last week, like the Sandman show came out on August fifth, right? Uh, it was one of two pretty significant genre drops on streaming that day, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everyone who watched the Sandman instead of the other one made the wrong choice. Because <laughs> uh, let me tell you, Prey fucking rocks. Yeah, Prey I've heard great amazing. things about Prey. Yeah, mm-hmm. Prey is really fun. Um, yeah. Sandman is. I'm trying to think of what because I I uh, like it. it. Feels it's like it's strong. No, I like it well enough. Um, but it also very much feels like what happens when you do Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is mm-hmm. to say, one of the joys of Sandman as a comic is the artists, right? Yeah, like. Even if you didn't necessarily dig like Sam, like I don't really dig Sam Keith's art in the first few issues of Sandman. 
Mm-hmm. But I think like Mike Dringerberg's stuff's great. I think Kelly Ro- uh, Jones' stuff in, in Season of Mist is really good. Like I think it continually gets good artists, and I think it continually cycles through interesting artists, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's mm-hmm. half of the power of the series. Yeah, you get to see the characters reinvented continually, and and Gaiman changes what they're writing to, to write as artists. Yes, and the TV show feels much more um it feels much smaller first of all mm-hmm. um which might be like covid restrictions coming into play but uh like you've heard of like you like you know the volume right excuse or me uh, the i okay, know the, the volume the, the volume is the like virtual stage that like the mandalorian and obi-wan kenobi and boba fett are, is shot oh in. is that what it's called okay yeah, yeah. all right okay all and right. It's, it's essentially like a, a set where it's like a, it's a wraparound including the ceiling um uh, virtual reality screen yeah right Right. right, a virtual and, reality and, set where they can, yeah, and, yeah and, all and that so stuff can, gets put in. You yeah. can set dress with, like, you know, here's a couple of rocks, but yeah. everything else is VR. And, yeah. you know, in limited use, it's great. Like, honestly, you can't really tell in things like The Mandalorian because mm-hmm. they, they use it really well. And they're not also really showing it off so much. Mm-hmm. Like, more mm-hmm. often than not, it's like, and here they are in a desert. Right. You know, like, great, yeah. that works. Um, uh, but it's it's become more and more popular it's become more and more in use again because of covid lockdown because it's cheaper mm-hmm. than having a big set okay right. uh, i've not seen thor love and thunder yet but one of the constant complaints i've heard about that is it looks like it's shot in the volume mm. because and people said the same thing about obi-wan as well because one of the problems is that because it is a confined space you mm-hmm. don't get a lot of movement around it and you get a relatively small cast in there as well right right and Sandman very much feels like that. And I don't know if it is shot in the volume. I don't know if it is, like, all green screened and then they CGI'd everything in or whatever. But the entire show, and I'm seven episodes in, the entire show that I've seen, um, with the exception of the Doll's House material, feels mm-hmm. very much like it's two people, like, having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And, like, there is other stuff going on in the background. But honestly... Uh, the production design is kind of dull and it's mm. kind of colorless, which again is a shame because Sandman's visually lovely as a comic. Yeah, very much. Like, so. No matter what you, no matter what you think of Gaiman, mm-hmm. Sandman looks great. Yeah, a lot of times it's very easy to think of it as a lush, uh, yeah, lushly illustrated right? book. And yeah. like there, there's there's the episode where uh, Morpheus goes to, to hell. It's boring to look at. Wow. Mm. It's like there's literally a scene where it feels as if it's almost devoid of all color. Mm. And it's like, you know, why? Why would you do this? Um, so, so in that respect, it's actually really disappointing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it is simultaneously very faithful and not faithful enough to the comics. Hmm. Uh, they're not faithful enough comes from especially in like the first you know arc they have to strip out all the dc universe stuff. of course right yeah right yeah um and that robs it of a bunch of stuff to be honest mm-hmm. that robs it of a bunch of universe. Mm-hmm. um but at the same time it, you feel very much like the writers are like i love neil gaiman's work and so i'm going to try and save as much of neil gaiman's dialogue as possible 
which feels oddly exhausting at times. Mm. You know, um, they're, they're arguably the most successful episode I've seen, having said that, is the sixth episode, which is uh, the death issue, but also mm. the hop the hop gadling issue. They put both of them in the same episode. Mm. Um, and those are shockingly faithful. Mm. Like, you know, I quite believe that they literally just, like, gave the director of the comic and were like, this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, shockingly faithful. Mm. Um, but it's fun enough. The actors, it's hilarious. The actor playing Morpheus is, as in the comic, probably the most boring thing in the, in the show. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, I think Morpheus is, is really dull as a, as a protagonist. I, mm-hmm. I think he's shockingly boring. Um, and sure enough, this actor is really dull. But uh, Kirby Baptiste Howell is amazing as death. Like, just fucking kills it. Mm. In part because she's not trying to be the comic character. She's just trying to be, like, this incredibly effusive, charming, like, mm. likable person. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she's Kirby Baptiste Howell. So you're like, of course. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes, you're great. Um, David Thewlis is great as John D. Because again, for the most part, he's playing David Thewlis. Right, right. Um, that said, the twenty-four hours issue slash episode is arguably the biggest departure from the comics, and it's it's a misfire. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Really. Yeah. The, so the comic had a really good structure. Every page mm-hmm. is an hour. Right. Right. And it just strips that out entirely. Oh. And I think that they're trying to make it like have a point in mm-hmm. a way that I think the comic didn't have a point. Mm. Like the comic is basically like, you know, he's fucked up and he's being fucked up. Things happen in the end, mm-hmm. you know, and it is like John D is going on about like, I want a more honest world. I'm trying to make you more honest. And like the characters get a chance to like talk back to him and mm. tell him that he's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> This isn't what I want. No, like, I, I, I want David Thewlis chewing more scenery. You right. know, right? Like that, that, that is that's the sort of thing I'm looking for. Um, yeah, it's 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 a weird show. I think if you love Sandman, you're probably mm-hmm. going to really like the show. Mm-hmm. I think if you don't know Sandman, you're probably going to like the show. I think if like me, you kind of like Sandman. <laughs> You're going to end up weirdly frustrated at the things they've chosen to be really faithful for versus the things they've chosen to change. Right. Chances, if you kind of like Sandman, chances are good you will kind of like the show less. Yeah. It sounds like. Because the choices that they do instead of capturing the material or bettering the material kind of kick the pins out from some of the few things that, that were your favorite parts in a way. Yeah. Hmm. So it's it's a weird it's uh like here's the thing. I would not especially knowing that you you gave up on the comic, like I wouldn't recommend you watch the show. Mm-hmm. You're not missing out on anything. And honestly the reason I started watching was the feeling that I was maybe missing out on something. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You know? There's yep. Because people because everyone was talking about it. Yeah, for sure. You know? And there really was a sense of like, oh like am I you know, am am I going am I going to regret? Like you know, not watching this. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder what it's like. I like the comic well enough. Like, you know, and 
and I don't like I, I I'm almost going to complete it now through sort of momentum mm-hmm. as opposed to any real desire. Do you and, know what I mean? No pun intended. Are there ten episodes? Twelve. There's ten episodes. Yeah. Ten. ten. Okay. Yeah. So you're, which makes sense. Like, so once I'm you're like, seven episodes in, yeah. yeah right. You I'm know. More than half weeks. So it's yeah. like you know, sure, I'll 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 finish it. Um, but I, I, you know, I'd be lying if I was like, I can't wait to watch Sandman again. <laughs> right. Right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a very strange world, Netflix now. Like back in the day, you would guaranteed that you'd get, you know. Three seasons. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and then and then right when things were more or less getting good, that would be the end of it. And it was like, no, nope, that's that's enough there. You well, know. So so here's the thing, the first season is two traits. Mm-hmm. Right? It's Prelude and Nocturnes and Doll's House. Right. And I think if you if you pull out the the um anthology traits. Right. I think basically they can get the whole story done in three seasons. And I think yeah. they probably worked that out for themselves. Yeah, right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I and it wouldn't like, surprise okay, me if they do. Yeah, let's just right. let's just get it to three. And then well, four. and again, as that idea of like, even though Netflix in some ways is, um, you know, more or less cleaned house by, it seems like, getting rid of all their smaller stuff or what they perceived as smaller stuff and keeping their big ass, clunky ass stuff. And, and Sandman's probably enough of an investment to qualify for that it's still it's still a tough call you know that like I they've mean, got because the flip side yeah. of this is also like you know you look at what warner brothers is doing now well and that like, was my other talking Sam, point Sam yeah. is a warner brothers television production right right yeah well and you know, who knows so, maybe so that's WB be like yeah we'll like we'll we'll kill it or mm-hmm. or is this exactly what they want because like as Zaslav said on the, the earnings call you know why, why aren't we making things for third parties? Yeah. You know, we should, right. we should do more of that. So maybe this is exactly what they want. Yeah, honestly, and that's it. I think I think it would be much more like back in the old days. Again, just go back two years. Things would be very different. Like you would see Warner Brothers being like, no, of course, this is the sort of shit that we have to call home because we need to make, you know, uh, Warner Brothers, the hub for DC content, and that's what we're going to be known for. And now they're like, you know what? If we can make some extra bucks licensing this stuff out, and it promotes our material, and we don't real, and we're getting paid by other people, like great, because we're our asses are broke. And similarly, Netflix is like, whoa, 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 not too fast. Like two years ago, we were riding high. Now we've got to show investors that you know we actually do know how to spend money so that they give us you know so that our stock can go back up and we can reinvest our our asses are also broke they say exactly and so the battle of the broke asses it'll be very interesting to see like yeah sandman may i i would suspect that it's it's big enough that it will proliferate but you never know it's it's been big for netflix and honestly netflix were treating it as big even before the debut. Exactly. So I, I think I think we're guaranteed at least two seasons, if not three. I I think so, especially because Netflix treated it as big and unlike 
Mark Miller's stuff, it actually does seem to be big. So poor Mark Miller. <laughs> yes, poor Mark Miller despondently floating in his swimming pool of money. It's kind of a shame. Um yeah, so the Warner Brothers stuff, pretty interesting, right? I mean, that is for as long as we're still talking the news thing and and why shouldn't we? Although God help us when we try and start talking about actual things we've read and want to talk about. Yeah. You we're, know, we're not praise this episode. We're already at like one twenty. Like, we're, yeah. We're, this right. Is just use this. This is the episode. I strongly suspect. Jeff. Nah, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to wiggle three options. One thing. I have at least one thing I really want to talk about. All right. Um, well, so 10 minutes we got, how about that? We oh, got, okay. I have, I have less than 10 minutes of Warner Brothers thing. Warner Brothers thing, uh, the earnings call was fascinating because it felt – it feels very much like and after that call arguably felt more like um, everything's in flux. Everything's in the air. Yep. There are um, – there are rumors in every single direction you're looking for mm-hmm. from DC right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that only got more so. The, mm-hmm. the, um, after the earnings call, some of the calls I got while at C two E two about DC were batshit insane, like, <laughs> batshit insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think we're just going to see more of that. Mm-hmm. So as I've said, you know, DC is a, a big property for us. It's it's you know one of our main focuses, and that they're you know pivoting the movies. He didn't say anything about publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they killed the war- the Batgirl film. Uh, mm-hmm. There are rumors, but as we currently record, entirely unconfirmed rumors that uh, Doom Patrol's dead and Titans is dead. Uh, there are slightly more confirmed rumors that the in development but never even got into production Green Lantern show's dead, and the mm-hmm. Strange Adventures, which is an animated strand, is also dead. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really curious to see a what Warner Brothers Discovery actually wants from DC beyond we'd like Marvel, um, and b what that actually means for DC as a company, right? Because I think all of that shit is is completely. I think it's open to whoever makes the best argument to uh, discovery bosses mm-hmm. i i think anyone who has a, a who thinks they can argue the case has a chance at this point and so like we'll see <laughs> we will fucking see because mm-hmm. like i said there are rumors in every direction on dc right now mm-hmm. in every single fucking direction some of which are just you know a year ago so shocking that you wouldn't believe it's true. And now mm. I'm like, ah, in the right light. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. We, we will see all together. Um, uh, it should be pointed out that DC didn't have a booth at San Diego this year. Uh, but DC was definitely there. Like, yeah. I would say, as someone on the floor, I think DC had as much of a presence as Marvel in terms of everything other than movies. Like the Marvel movie panel at the Hall H in San Diego just decimated. Like it, it ruled the show. Right. Because of course it did, right? It's a Marvel movie panel. Mm-hmm. But um but the the 
uh, in terms of comics, like I would say DC had had bigger announcements than, than Marvel did. Hmm. You know, even though DC quote unquote wasn't at the show. Right. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yes. Yeah, I think so. What I'm fascinated by, and I could be wrong about, but my take on Warner Brothers Discovery, it reminds me very much back in the days, the the, the golden days of the junk bonds, where you had companies, and I believe Marvel at one point was indeed one of these, that was taken over, purchased by people who had leveraged junk bonds, which were considered, you know, really terrible debt. And so essentially they inherited, took over entire corporations, but they essentially brought with them the enormous deficit of having purchased that corporation. And so the fact that Warner Brothers Discovery took uh, something like $750 million tax write-off to, I mean, that's like three quarters of a billion dollars that I'm assuming was literally just them being like, fuck it, this is worth, this is more valuable to us as a way to quickly erase debt to, to, to make our bottom line look better to investors uh and yeah there's 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 some stock. weird Man. yeah there's some weird hinky things going on there apparently also they had to do stuff before the end of august because if they did so then at&t is former owners basically owe them money oh wow right which i think yeah, you there, mentioned as well yeah yeah mm-hmm. there, there, there's there's like there's reasons why what happened happened when it happened right basically Warner Brothers Discovery had to say, "This is the these, these are the projects that we are saying are not viable, right? By a certain date, in yeah. order for basically AT and T to have to pay for them, right? So, so with those factors in mind, in some ways, I'm like, it would not surprise me if T- Titans does come back or Doom Patrol does come back at least for one more season because, in a way, those that ball is rolling. It's different from development money or write-off money or stuff that you can actually stick AT&T with the bill for. But yeah, like it, it does seem like there is, there's a lot going on there and there's still a lot to go on. And I think that to the extent like the DC's biggest, um, Asset is, of course, you know, also in a way its biggest liability, which is it's not Marvel, but it's seen as the next Marvel. You know, in other words, it's it's a golden egg. It, it, it's the goose that in theory, it is the goose that can lay the golden egg at some point. And so no one is going to strangle it and sell it at market. But yeah, it's the, it's the goose that has the possibility to lay the egg. Yeah, exactly. But. But what that means in just about every other context is who knows and is and is terrifying that what what people may try to do to get the that egg out of the goose is um is is alarming to contemplate so yeah i um, I, I think that um 
I think that there's definitely and I, I you know not speaking as someone who is not in DC and not speaking mm-hmm. on behalf of anyone who is at DC right now mm-hmm. I think there's definitely some anxiety about like you know how secure is <laughs> how right. secure is any actually I'll, I'll widen this how secure is any job at Warner Brothers right now That is true. I mean, that is so true. Of course, the thing that's ironic, and again, I'm like, yeah, Graham, we got to talk about our comics. I'm like, oh shit, we didn't even, I mean, I would like to think that our listeners, who are wonderful, uh, get their news from a variety of sources and then hopefully come by us for our hot takes, because I don't know if we're going to be able to cover, like, we could give Graham three hours to talk about what the fuck happened with Oni Press and... Oh, no, we should save that for um, probably the next episode of the episode after that. Do you know why? Why? Oni Press is going to be exhibiting at Emerald City. Oh, shit, that's right. They took some vow or oath that they would be there and... Oof, yeah. Yeah, that should be so, really So, like, we, we should save the Oni stuff for after... Yeah, they've shown Emerald City. Yeah, because, I think that's true. Um, you may or may not know this, but you know who else is going to be at Emerald City? Who? James Lucas Jones. Oh, really? Ooh, yeah. interesting. Like, huh? Well, I mean, in a way, it wouldn't surprise me. But like, as a as a guest, as an no, a no, con, I, guest I, of the I, con I, exhibitor, I just, just attending, just as like a private individual, but um. I don't know. I just feel that there's going to be stuff happening about Oni. Oh yeah, this week. Yeah, definitely. You know? Right. Uh, yeah. So no, we can we can wait we can wait a, a couple of weeks on that. But I yeah. mean, like, here's the thing: it's not just that Valiant Tapas. Like, layoffs are happening everywhere, Jeff. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Valiant reportedly has either three or four members of staff in the company, and that's eight right now. Wow. Tapas basically laid off the entire American executive team. Oh, no, really? See, that one I missed. Really? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah, like, there's upheaval everywhere. Everywhere. Right now. So, it's not just Oni. It's not just DC. There is upheaval everywhere. Like, in all seriousness, there have been mass layoff stories from four publishers Oh, sorry, three publishers, because there's not been one from DC. It's just that we all expect one from DC. It's been mass layoff stories from three publishers and expectations of one from a fourth publisher in the last four weeks alone. That is brutal. Like, when is the last time we saw that? Yeah. I genuinely can't think of that. So, right. no, this is a um, weird fucking year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to put it mildly. Okay, bang. So that gives us, uh, let's see what the timer says. I say we still got half an hour to talk about. Tell tell me about the comic that you want to talk about, because I feel like I've been talking this entire fucking time. No, 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 no. I've been been jumping in. You've definitely been doing a huge chunk. Um, So, listeners, I think there's actually, you know... Have I have been reading comics for months, and so there's there's a variety of things that, um, you know, if we were just going to be talking for two hours and talking about things that I liked and things that I thought were great and things that I thought were weird, um, let me try and boil it down to three things that I should talk about, and then, then maybe we can expand, because I know Graham. The one thing that I know that is the, uh, the thing that... 
Graham and I will most be easily um, in line and in sync with is uh, around the time that Graham was at San Diego Comic-Con, I read two, I read Ducks, Two Years in the Oil Sands by Kate Beaton, uh, the, the Hark a Vagrant cartoonist. And Hark a Vagrant and, and uh, Fat Pony and a whole bunch of other like kids material, humor comics, um, Ducks is um not that it is yes, no very much not ducks is a masterpiece can we just put it, that it, out there yes yeah absolutely thanks graham <laughs> ducks <laughs> is a masterpiece it uh, my as i as i tweeted the other week my hope is a year from now ducks will have won all the awards because it deserves it it is a stunning piece of reportage of um, nonfiction. Um, Beaton spent two years, as the thing says, working in the oil sands of Canada. And her stories of those times there are amazingly compassionate and yet absolutely, totally, devastatingly clear eyed. Yeah. About it, it's, it's it's an emotionally devastating book. It really yeah. is. Like it's it's it is not something. It's not something you can read lightly. It's not no. something that you can. Uh, it's not something you can rush through. No. You know, th- yeah. There there are moments that I I think, and I I think Beaton builds it into the book. You know there mm-hmm. there are spreads I think are built into to force you to pause. Yeah. Force you to take a breath. Mm-hmm. Um, I no, I just, I just think it's, I think it's fucking amazing. It's, I, I, it's... I'm, I'm, sorry. Anyway. No, no, no. Yeah, no. You should. I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm. It's not out yet. This is the thing. Yeah, I think it's out next right. month. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and so part of me like doesn't want to say much more. Yeah, because I don't want to spoil it for anything. Because one of the things that I think impacted me so much as a reader was I didn't really know that much about it. Hmm. Right. right, and so there, there were there were elements there that that really genuinely did uh, like take me back and like like punch me in the guts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it's just. Uh, uh, I agree, and so we'll keep it pretty minimal. Maybe we'll revisit, but I just want to get in the word now. For our listeners, if you want a read that is just us, just astoundingly good, just incredible cartooning, fantastic storytelling, and just such an extraordinary um, consideration of depth. And I think the thing that also I should say is I feel like from the title and from the way that we tend to um, talk about nonfiction comics. I feel that, you know, it's very easy, I think, for people to be like, oh, okay, like it's going to be cartoonist reportage, you know, or, oh, it's going to be cartoonist memoir. And and I just just keep, keep an open mind, but get a hold of the goddamn book because it's great. It's not, it's, it really is in such an amazing way, such a substantial accomplishment. 
And for people like Graham and I, who both have been longtime Kate Beaton fans, and I and I'm sh- I'm sure that that is a trait that we share with a lot of the people who listen to this podcast and a lot of people across comics. I think I think people are still going to be just bowled over by it because it's oh, it's I, extraordinary. I, I, I didn't expect this book. Yeah, like I genuinely you know. didn't. You know, right. I, I I thought I thought I, I well, better way of putting it. I thought I knew what Kate Beaton could do. Right. That's right? exactly right. And then right. comes up and it's like, oh shit. Okay. Yep. So you can do this too. <laughs> yeah. Right. At, like at an astonishingly high level. So yeah, I think really just want to flag that for people. Um, the other thing I want to mention that I thought was fucking amazing. Interestingly enough, two separate whatnots, and I looked this up because Bruce Baugh back in August 2016 and then Sky in February of this year both recommended to me a book that was not in print, a manga volume, uh, Yokohama, uh, sorry, let me try that again, Yokohama Kaidashi Kiku, um, it is now in print from Seven Seas. The first volume of, I think, five deluxe volumes is coming out. And it is fucking astonishing. It is something I really would love to recommend to everyone. It is a... People who know me, who who know that I sort of like uh, things like planets and just sort of... Um, it's almost like gentle slice-of-life science fiction stuff. Like... Yokohama Kadashi Kiku is uh, uh, basically an, a, a quiet apocalypse novel. Um, it is about a small community of uh, people um, in Yokohama that is in a post-apocalyptic Japan where it seems like if nothing else, the, the, the rising seas, but probably some other, um, nature, uh, based apocalypse has sort of crumbled everything. And so people are gently surviving on the fringes. Uh, the main character, the heroine of the book is actually a female robot, an android named Alpha, who runs a cafe uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And a lot of the stories involve her interactions with her neighbors or her distant neighbors, um, some of which, a lot of which is largely like, hey, let's go over that hill over there. Or, oh, shoot, I meant to go get gasoline from this one thing and now my scooter's out of gas and what are we going to do? In a such a gentle slice of life kind of way. It is done by Hitoshi uh, Ashinano, who I uh, I want to say what I wrote this down at one point was the artist assistant on uh, Oh My Goddess, I want to say. The the artwork is beautiful. It, uh, if you looked at it, Graham, you'd be like, oh yeah, it to me, it absolutely reminds me of, because it's, it's, um, a lot of the manga that I'm used to reading now, super heavy with the zip tone, the effects, you know, studio people. So, you know, a very clear level of technical discipline. Uh, 
Ashinano draws in pen. And so everything has just a, an amazing, assured, but also loose vitality of it that just absolutely reminds me of comics that I was reading back in the mid eighties in, in black and white, you know? And okay. I think, I think you would like it. I think Chloe would like, I think everyone would love it. I, it was one of those books that because it's in five volumes and the series, I think I want, I don't remember what it ran from. I want to say early to mid nineties to like the early, like 2005 maybe, or something like that. There are it's being collected by seven seas in five deluxe volumes so basically two volumes that go so it was like 455 pages but i had to deliberately pace myself to not just tear through that like as fast as i fucking could because it was just it was it, it was just so life-sustaining it was absolutely wonderful so that I, I'm ducks. looking forward to the show notes for this episode so that I can get the name of it so I can look it up. Yes, I will definitely make sure to include that and the link. So that and ducks are fabulous. I've got a variety of other things, including my beloved uh, Chihaya Furu had another volume come out, which was amazing. Chainsaw Man has returned uh, with three chapters. I want to mention, uh, Graham, did I send you a link to Abe's current webcomics experiment? You did. You did. Okay. Did you get a chance well, to when, check it out and or yeah, yeah. and and um we had a whole conversation about it when I was in Chicago and you clearly don't remember. I don't. What did we say? I thought I remember telling you about it and then sending you the link and then I don't remember what you said about it. Oh no, we had a con- <laughs> during that very call we had a conversation about it. <laughs> <sighs> Man, that's a drag. Wow, and I thought I was the one that was completely out of it that day. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, because remember we had a conversation about AI um, art? Well, yeah, right. But I hadn't thought you had read the stuff. I thought I'd sent you the link at that point. No, I... Was I, I wrong? I was you reading, had read it? I was, reading, I was reading while we were talking, Jeff. Oh, you were? Shit. Okay. Graham... Roll it back for the listeners, by which I mean me, because I don't remember a huge chunk of this, apparently. Um, I, I love that a lot. <laughs> uh, I don't. I'm very I embarrassed. I'd spend the entire day on a plane, but I'm, yes. I'm glad that it, it's right. not just me. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think you should talk, because I was very much of the... Um, I think this is interesting, but it's an experiment that other people have done. Um, oh, interesting. School of thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, I will sum it up. I will throw a link in the show notes. Fan. Yeah. Mm, sorry. You were definitely more of a fan. And so I, I will, yes. Recommending yes. things. I think, like, it's definitely, you should, you should be the one to talk about this. Well, so, basically, I, I'm a fan, but it's also a fan with a capital asterisk, because I think that the 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 repercussions of it are quite troubling which Abbe talks about is basically, you know, as the rest of us were creating various, you know, Hey, it's George Jetson meeting George Jefferson and Dolly or other people creating, I guess, um, isolated images using the various AI art generators. Uh, Abbe basically signed up with mid journey and, 
um, went about creating, after experimenting with it a bit, is in the process of creating six-page webcomics using MidJourney. And the first three are out. I'll link to the website um, that he's got set up where you can look at each of them. And he's got a link to his process notes. As he points out, it is, uh, on the one hand, for, you know, Abhay, unlike me, is um, a guy who is interested in making comics, who has taught himself enough to draw that he's drawn his own comics. You know, uh, he has, he put money into paying artists um, to draw comics, uh, the the amazing Gangland All-Stars project from a year or two back. Um, and here he is uh, taking Midjourney and using Midjourney as his collaborator uh, in creating comics. And so he's writing it and Midjourney is creating images that he is asking it to and then having to interpret accordingly and um it is a it is to me a sign of a potentially very very terrifying future whereas for me someone who's never has has had a very the, the most teeniest sliver of um, writing comics, um, very intrigued with the idea of like, ooh, if I could just tell a uh, an AI program what I want it to draw, and then I lay my own text and lettering over that, that seems potentially very attractive because I'm horrible at approaching collaborators and I don't know what I could pay and, you know, and in a way, in a, in a better, kinder, gentler world, um, you know, it would be a great way for people to start to learn the vocabulary of comics. Um, part of it, I should say, Abe's starting off his first three or three or four or five comics are horror comics. He's moving on to do science fiction comics, um, as he says in his show notes. It was originally supposed to be a limited project, but he is finding the ex exploration of the possibilities uh and weirdly as he points out the very disquieting factor of being able to create six page comics without really substantially taking off any time from work um and getting something that looks uh really suspiciously close i think to final uh finished product like i said in a perfect world it could be a great way for people to learn the vocabulary of comics writers to see what could and couldn't work um as it exists now of course the the generator which is not designed for comics work ends up doing a lot of things that you know really isn't even great for 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 keeping panel to panel continuity and so there's a lot of back and forth with it but i have to say you know, it's a good thing that DC is, you know, fiscally strapped and Marvel is exceptionally cheap. And there's a lot of other comic companies that have gone, <laughs> you know, that are that have their hands full because nothing would be less surprising and more terrifying than someone than a publisher who has, I don't know, you know, 
70 years worth of work for hire material that they own outright that they can just feed into a generator one that i think you know is set up with specific um controls that could allow someone to sit out and crank out pages and pages and pages of what we think of as relatively good looking albeit semi-derivative superhero art and and more or less cutting loose a huge chunk of human labor and and the thing that helps make comics so amazing the artists so i think it's an amazing process i think it's a terrifying process everyone else seems hugely indifferent to it so perhaps i'm just uh an extreme alarmist but i'll put it in the show notes and other people can check it out and see what they think it's part of why i was trying to get the sense of things from you graham and i apologize that you were giving me real-time feedback and i'm like uh-huh yeah yeah okay yeah well sure. but, but here's the thing and this is what i was saying like in that conversation as well like this is not the first time someone has done this mm-hmm. right like there was a, a comic that came out last year that was written and drawn by uh, AI. Mm-hmm. There is a comic that was, I think it just came out. It was solicited of like, maybe not actually, maybe it was like May or June. Um, oh, I remember you mentioning there was one that was solicited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, called, hang on, I'm going to Google it right now. Um, it was solicited. It was solicited back in June. It's mm-hmm. called the abolition of man. Uh, which was created entirely with Midjourney AI. Mm. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's the same. Yeah, it comes out in October. Like so, so like the, you know, other people are doing this. Guy, like as someone pointed out last year, there's computer generated New Yorker cartoons. Mm. Like, mm. like this. This is this is something that people have been have been worried about, but also have been doing. Right. For a while. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I think it's just something we're just going to see more of. It's also funny that, uh, A, that you think that we're going to have to wait for like Marvel or DC who own material to feed it into something because I don't think that's going to happen at all. I think we're just going to be someone who doesn't own that material and just wants something that looks like Kirby and it's just going to feed it in. And also, uh, even as you're saying that, I was like, shit, that's the plot of um, uh, Beyond Our Kenny. The, the dread story about Kenny who? Mm, that's right. That's actually huh. a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's really funny. Um, yeah, that that's that's what happens. He he goes to show off his, his comic pages in Mega City One and they love it and they say they're keeping the portfolio to show an editor and instead they're feeding it into a machine that then copies his style. You're totally right, I remember that. Wow. Wow. Talk about prescient too. Cause that's Yeah. And that's like thirty that. years old. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. Um, so, uh, so those are my things. Those are my things, Graham. Uh, you should talk about your things too, um, uh, as well. So we don't, uh... I'm going to talk about my thing very quickly because we're quoting to our remark, um, because it's something I've talked about before, but it's something that, uh, I read yesterday and I'm like, I've been floored by, and I'm going, well, now I have to read the entire fucking series. Um, I've talked about Brink before the 2008 strip. Yeah, that is um, Dan Abnett and Ian J. Colbert. And yes. so Brink volumes one through four are the collected editions of the first four runs of the book. And they follow Bridget Curtis, who is a basically space cop, as she is uncovering 
evidence of uh, either a conspiracy theory or a cult that has spread throughout the galaxy. Humanity has been forced to leave Earth. Uh, they have settled into life on various space stations. However, in these space stations, there is cult activity or sect activity, as it's called. And weird shit is happening. And it is unclear, A, whether the sects are real or evidence of basically like humanity loses its mind when mm. when set adrift in space. <clears throat> but also whether what is happening, including like the disappearance of an entire fucking planet, um, is related to this or whether it's something else entirely. Because wow. there's a parallel track uh, going along. The, there's also, because it's a science fiction thing, uh, and like because it's science fiction that is heavily influenced as much as anything by like Ridley Scott uh, material. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's shady corporations, mm-hmm. right? And are the shady corporations to blame? Okay, right. the fifth series is still running. It's just about to finish in 2018, but the collected edition is out in October, I think. And Rebellion sent out uh, advanced reader copies of the collection. Mm-hmm. Jeff, it fucking floored me. Really? You've had four. You've had four volumes of Bridget doing her thing. Mm-hmm. And this fifth one, it was just the longest run yet, ignores Bridget almost entirely, and goes back to the setting of the first series, mm-hmm. and goes, "What if there's a journalist who's investigating the sects uh, on the first space station?" Mm. And what if he's actually really investigating union activity and union busting activity by the corporation? Hmm. And what is the crossover between the two of them? Mm -hmm. And it just simultaneously ignores everything from the previous four things apart from the sect. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe gives the key to what is actually happening in the entire series. Wow. Um, while also being a comic warfare. And about yeah. why people don't trust unions. And, mm. <laughs> and also why people don't trust journalists. Wow. Hmm. That sounds um, amazing. Also, Is this the, the out or? No, no, no. It's called Brink. It's Brink Volume 5. Oh, Brink Volume 5. Okay, fabulous. Um, which, uh, hang on. I'll look up the email and see when it's out. Uh, Brink Volume 5 is out oh, the 23rd of November. So we're, so mm. we're some, some distance ahead. Like I said, right. the, the run is finishing in 2018, I think, at the end of this month. Um, but it's amazing. Uh, and at first I was like, oh, I'm, you know, why are they, not only like, why are they avoiding Bridget, but like, like is this a smart move? Mm-hmm. And by the end, I was just, I was, I was just like, this is amazing. And mm. it's done everything I wanted this strip to do to basically go no we're leading somewhere mm. where this is not you know because the initial run um i like him too and i don't think i came up with that i think i heard from someone else it's true detective meets lovecraft meets like ridley scott's alien wow right yeah um and then like it goes weird places after that and i say that but like visually it's none of those things because colbert's working in this amazing like just amazing neon color palette and with like wow. this this like clean line look it's like what if tintin like was lit by like dennis villeneuve um <laughs> like you know 
<laughs> and, and you know, I but was actually telling like a Ridley Scott murder mystery story, right. which also involves like Lovecraftian aliens. Hmm. Okay. And then, like, after that, it goes weird places. And then for this volume, it comes back to, to the setting of the first and the time frame of the first as well. This all unfolds while the first series is going on. Midway through the run of this new volume, you hear a reference to the end of the first volume. Wow. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, yeah, this just happened. And you're like, oh, shit, that's the end of the first volume. Okay. That mm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um. It's it's you know it's a flashback that is is you know and, and this very bold thing of being like yeah like ignore all of this the real story is over here mm. and there's some really funny touches in there um, there's some really funny sort of undercutting of the cult paranoia that the strip itself is built up um, one of the things about the cults is they're all like they they have fetishized symbols that they think are basically communicating with this like elder god and that's me paraphrasing because they don't call them an elder god um mm-hmm. and at one point there's a character who's like yeah they think this is a cult symbol it's literally a symbol from when we built the space station saying there's an electrical power outlet here mm. you know and you're like oh shit of course because when you want to see things you see things right but then like it then plays on that very idea later where you genuinely, as a reader, do not know who one of the characters is. Wow. Because they're lying to someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but who is the someone they're lying to? Or are they lying to both? Right. Right. Right? Huh. And you're just like, yeah, I don't, like, I genuinely don't know who this character is other than I know this character is important. But I don't know what they want. I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Because the, the two things they're saying are completely in conflict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless they're not, which is the the interesting thing, which again recasts everything a further way. Like it's this really bold story that is just like, yeah, we're basically going to blow up everything you thought you knew and make it into this other thing. But this other thing is just as interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's really great, and what an amazing change up to do at volume five, even. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it makes me wonder, like, if is volume six going to be the end? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it is, but like making this switch up this late mm-hmm. also feels like it's a like. And now we're heading towards the end. Now we're in the home straight. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I mean, I, on the one, like, you know, I, I, like I said, I was floored. I, I, I really was just like, this is. I can't stop reading this because I just have to know what happens. Um, but I shouldn't have been surprised because Abner is also running uh, writing Lawless. In the magazine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Lawless similarly is is a strip where Abnett one hundred percent is like, yeah, no, I'm setting this up as the big mystery, and then the next story is like, only joking. Here's the solution to that mystery. <laughs> wow, um, and and wonderfully, and I highly recommend Lawless to anyone who's ever thought, what if they did Dread, but it was a western. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. Like if if Brink is true detective in space lawless is um justified in space judge dreadwood <laughs> yes um but like abner does a great like a fun thing which is there's a core mystery and in book three they answer the core mystery mm. and then really early in book four they're like ah fuck it i was only joking wow 
like no i actually didn't answer it you thought i answered right. it but that's because i was i was i but like makes a point of being like i was misdirecting you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you fell for it you fucking idiots <laughs> which i love i love because it's so blunt mm. it's this thing where you're like oh i like you know because the the um part of the setup of lawless is it's a an outer space colony and this judge arrives to basically be the law right but the judge is for want of a better way of putting it like not a judge Mm-hmm. As in, like, she's a judge, she's got, like, the uniform, she's got the title, but she is, like, a million miles away from Dread. Mm-hmm. Like, she's Dread if Dread was, like, this very laid-back quasi-alcoholic. <laughs> who's like, I don't fucking care if you shoot each other as long as I don't have to clear up. Right. And one of the questions really early on is, like, is this actually the judge? Or has someone killed the judge and taken her place? Oh, yeah, you'd mentioned that, which is great. And in Volume 3, they answer it. And then in Volume 4, they're like, nah, I didn't answer it. <laughs> like, it seems, genuinely seems like they've given the answer, like a definitive answer. And in Volume 4, they're like, nah. Nope. No, no. I only no. made you think I'd given an answer, but I'm fucking not. Which I wow. loved, because it was honestly like, they were like, yeah, no, I'm just going to fuck you around. I'm just going to fuck you around in this comic. Right, right. Sounds Which good. I love. I, I love that sort of stuff. Right. Um, anyway, so yeah, Brink Volume 5 uh, is out in November. I think that's just digitally. Maybe it's out in November in, in print in the UK, but it, I don't think that's the, case, the date for the US. But mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Brink is easily one of the best things 2018 has been doing like in the past decade, if not longer. Um, right. Is a, a really good slow burn series, but each volume also has worth in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then volume five comes along and just is like, you know, it's like a ton of bricks on your head. Wow. It's just like, yeah, no, it's, you know, we've done procedurals all this time. No, here's a journalist and they're writing about unions, but also we're writing about sects and, you know, we're, we're, we're also going to redefine what the series is. Yeah. That sounds like a thing. That sounds like yeah, a it's thing. Great. It's we really should, good. Uh, People like me should look into. That sounds fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked it. So yes, that's that's my that's what I've been reading lately. I've also been reading lots of shit, but like that's that's the one thing I'm talking about. You know what we didn't talk about and we I think we should. Not mm. tonight, but like in the future because I'm not even sure we read it. Did you read Clementine? Did you read the Tilly Walden Walking Dead book? Not yet, no. I'm gonna grab it from Hoopla and read it. I'm looking forward to it, but I've not. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love okay. to talk to you about that. All right. Well, that sounds good. Uh, we will do that someday. <laughs> Anon. Okay. Let's uh, let's let the whatnots listen to us try and plan what we're doing next. We are not That's recording right. next week because that I'm at Emirates. Then, right. thankfully, I'm not traveling for like five weeks. And Fabulous. let me tell you, I'm so excited about that. You have no idea. You're not uh, traveling anymore, right? Your traveling's done for a while. I believe so. Or yes. is it? I think so. I hope so. <laughs> I make no promises, but yeah, I, I think so. Remember, one one of the reasons that like our recording's been so wacky lately is you also traveled as well as me traveling. Oh well, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. No, okay. no, no. no. His, but I'm, as far as I, I know, I'm probably. I'm the problem yeah. this month. I know that for sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, right, which is fine. I, I'm i being cagey uh, in part 
because um part of part of why we had to travel was because of yeah because of my 89 year old mother-in-law and yeah what i have learned is when someone is 89 you can talk about what your plans are for what's going to happen sure 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 sure. yeah so but yes so in two weeks we will be recording and we will be doing a drock i think seems to be the smart choice right i i was going to ask I was going to say, what are we doing? Are we doing a drop two weeks from now, or are we doing a regular robot? It seems to me that the 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 gist would be to do the drop. That it a would drop. be this. Okay. Yeah, I think so. You know, like you said, there's a ton of stuff that we barely even really got a chance to to touch on. But um, you know, in theory, we can we can catch up. So yes, volume. Well, so so he, yeah. talking talking about catching catching up. Yes, and I'm going to. I'm. I'm not going to ask you to answer this right now, and you can also edit this out of the episode if you so want. Right. Um. Do you want to do four weeks in September to try and catch up? Just because we have, I think this will be two months in a row. We've only done two episodes. Yes. Um. That is correct. And my inclination it, right now is to say, yeah, sure. You know, let's do all four episodes in September and then we'll be that much closer to being caught up. And frankly, we could even do four episodes in October, have a Except sick we week off for I'm, my birthday. Oh, right. Well, we, of yeah, course. New York comic con. <laughs> Graham, 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 I know, Graham. I'm telling you, my job is a problem for this podcast. I'm sorry, everyone. Well, at least right now. During Although, you know, you know, what's season. funny. We actually mm. can still do three weeks in uh, October and have the weekend off for uh, New York Comic Con and have your birthday weekend off. Really? We can record on October 1st, October 15th, and October 22nd. Oh, nice. Okay. I'm going to jot that down here on this piece of paper. October 10th, October 15th, October 22nd. And you're right. That's three. So we do four in September. That clears us somewhat of our guilt and gets us closer to our recording high batting average. And uh, and next week we will do a drop where we will be discussing Judge Dredd, the complete case files, volume thirty eight, right? And when he says next week, he actually means two weeks from now. Shit, I mean two weeks from now. Sorry, next <laughs> episode. Damn it! Yes. Yeah. It's no. Two I know. weeks. I, welcome to welcome to my scheduling right now. Yeah. Let no me kidding, tell you, right? It's so weird doing a convention every two weeks. It's so weird doing a convention every two weeks. That that seems that seems um, crazy making to me. It's it's really wacky. Okay, I've just looked it up. We will, in fact, be doing Case Files Volume 38. You're right. And that's in okay. two weeks. Two yes. weeks, everyone, doing a drug. It's going to be episode 42, and it's going to be Case Files 38. Oh, and you something. just had to keep doing it. You just uh, now know it's everyone's going to show up. Thirty. I'm going to show up 38 two, weeks from now having weeks. read. Yeah. Uh-huh. In two weeks, everyone, it's drug 42, which is Case Files 38. Probably Drog 43 after that will be Restricted Files 4, which I think we're overdue for by this point. I think yeah, we've probably. finally caught up with it. Because hmm. um, the problem is the majority of that book is the early 90s. And then like the last few stories are like from 2002 or something. Hmm. It's so strange. Um, wow. Anyway, my point being, we're doing Drog next time. It's Case Files 38. That's in two weeks. Then we'll have to catch up with Restricted Files 4. At some point. 
there's a lot of numbers. There's so many numbers. You put so many more numbers in there than needed to actually be there. I got to tell you, that is just confusing as all hell. You're welcome. You're welcome. Again, I've been going to convention every two weeks. Yes. Yes, and and I can tell that your that your ability to schedule um, has has either leveled up or taken a hit. I can't even understand. It's, yeah, it's way anymore, beyond right? what I can do. Yeah, exactly. So, closing comments, Graham. Do you want to? I you know? I hope you're all healthy. Whatnots. I hope you're there happy. There we go. I, that's mm-hmm. so bad. That says like I'm in a bad mood. I hope you're happy. Um, <laughs> I think it sounds fine until you add now um, at the end of it, yeah. right? I, I am um, I I've missed doing this. I really have. I've really like not doing this podcast has been weird. And yeah. I, like I'm very aware that it has been a casualty of doing so many um conventions. And uh it's one of the reasons I'll be happy that after New York I'm not doing a convention until March. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, because I've missed doing this podcast. I apologize to everyone who's been waiting a month for this. Um, it's it's unavoidable. I also apologize even more because we're taking next week off. Again, <laughs> yeah. I I do. I I genuinely feel shitty about it. Ah, but but uh, it's my job, and so it's my job. You know. Hey, that's my closing comments are thank you for staying with us and thank you for listening. Hmm. And Jeff, I've missed talking to you. I know we actually like have been talking, but like I missed yeah. like hours on end. <laughs> no, agreed, agreed. That part has been it's been nice to have the 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 sort of quick, gentle, what the hell's going on with you kind of thing. But uh, but yeah, that interspersed with all of this makes it uh, makes it a, an exceptionally lovely long talk. Uh, Graham said a whole bunch of fabulous things uh, that I that that I think it's only fair that I should have to say um, all the rest, which is there will be show notes for this episode. I was going uh, to say that. Were you? I, I said I, closing I, comments, and you're like, I, I missed know, you guys. I miss all of you. I I'm, I'm sorry. I have a job. Cats in the that, cradle and the silver moon. You know. Hello. Oh wow! I thought I was the one going insane. I was <laughs> again by Jeff Lester. <laughs> that, that's right. Zip in with a Harry Chopin, little boy blue and the man to the moon. When you're gonna podcast, son? Don't know when, but we'll podcast. Drock forty three case volume files restricted in volume four. Then, son, we'll do restricted all, case files volume I, four. I, then, I think you'll find. I think you'll find Mr. Cat's cradle does know when we're going to podcast because it's two fe- two fucking weeks, okay? <laughs> Spend those two weeks looking up the show notes at waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh, we have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-D-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Um, I think that's that's it, apart from when I say this is a Patreon-supported podcast and Jeff does some talking. I do. When we're going to podcast, don't know when. I already told you it's two weeks from now and it's Drock 42, son. I told you it's Drock 42. Uh, yeah, guys, you're great. We love you. Uh, i sorry that I had to do that, but it just sort of seemed really funny to do it again. 
Shows you what I know. And uh, uh, thank you for your patience with us. You know, we um, we really appreciate, uh, obviously, the chance to talk with one another, but also the chance, in a way, to sort of talk very indirectly with you. I am so grateful to the fact that two separate um, whatnots recommended went out of their way to recommend this for me um over the course of years and i'm so uh, excited i've gotten so many excellent uh manga recommendations and comic recommendations and i've done my best to sort of play that back um throw them at graham graham throw them at me we both sort of you know uh, give a confetti shower of recommendations upon you all um, I really appreciate that that community. And there's a section of the community that is super great. The people on Patreon who throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh, um, which comes in handy in so many ways. In fact, Graham doesn't really quite know how many handy ways because I haven't had a chance to talk to him off air about some technical stuff. But uh, believe no, I, me. Oh, I, I, think, I think I know some of it because you forget yeah. that I... I had dinner with someone from Chicago, but yes. Oh, okay. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. So we're incredibly grateful for uh, for for your ears, your attention, your feedback, and the people in Patreon. They're a little bit of that hard-earned dosh that keeps us motivated, keeps us excited, keeps us incredibly uh, shamefaced when we can't do three episodes uh, a month. Um, which, you know, our record's pretty good the last two months aside, I, you know, go back. I, I would, I would swear on it that we've done a pretty good job cranking out something like 36 episodes a year, year in and year out for, see, defensive, shame-faced. It's just a shame. Anyway, we thank you. I want to give special thanks to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continued support of this podcast. Um, I, there was some actually somewhat semi-alarming astronomical news. I don't even remember where it was any, anymore. And I remember genuinely thinking, oh, I, sure hope, I sure hope Empress Audrey has that one covered. So, um, you know, if nothing else, this is turning into a surprisingly complete religion of one here uh empress audrey you apparently have one devoted follower in me i thank you we all thank you graham i love uh you've got one devoted follower in me i think it's the best song from aladdin (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna be back in two weeks uh at which point are we Jeff loses his mind telling me the technical things, which is going to oh, happen God. after we finish recording. Oh, so, Jesus, like, yes. If you think he sounds goofy now, just wait and see. Hopefully in the show notes he'll update you all. <laughs> you know, just how, like, I probably will not, him. everyone. I, I will not. I mean, I feel like, you know, you gotta have, it's got to be a way what podcast with a, a little bit of Jeff going off the rails, right? So... But uh, until such time as we see each other again, hey, Jeff, who Jeff, knows when that will be? Jeff, yes. Jeff. Hmm? Yes. Bye.